0: Hi, my name is Blue, and I'm the host of this new podcast, The 21st Century Teacher, with Live It Earth, and my job is to ensure that our teachers and students get the most out of our programs. This new podcast series is just one of the ways I'm going to be supporting our community of educators with a monthly conversation with a special guest educator discussing a different aspect of 21st century teaching and learning. Today, I'm talking with Kevin Cardell, an award-winning educator recognized nationally for excellence in educational practice. He is currently the superintendent of SD23 and president of the Canadian Association of School Systems Administrators. He's an author and innovator who has presented on educational and administrative topics at provincial, national and international conferences. He has enjoyed 38 years in public education in six districts and two provinces. Kevin believes public education is critical to the development of a civil society and a sustainable planet, and I'm very happy to have him here today on the show. So I'd like to start today by sharing that I am here in the Slowcan Valley, which is just north of Nelson. I live about an hour north of Nelson, which is in the southeast corner of British Columbia. And this is actually the traditional unceded territory of the Snake, the Silk, and the Tanahar. And as well, around an estimated 5,000 from the Métis Nation live here as well, which includes my family. My wife is Métis Cree, and my children also um, have that ancestry. So we are very, very conscious to raise our kids with an appreciation uh, of the natural surroundings in the area, but also an appreciation of the first peoples that came before us. So I I am incredibly grateful to be able to live, work, and play here. And I always like to start by acknowledging that. Um, And I'm really excited today to have Kevin Cardell on the show. And Kevin,
1: thank you for joining me. And maybe you could share where you are in the world. Uh, Thank you so much, Blue. Um, Yeah, I'm absolutely thrilled to be joining you on this uh, podcast from the beautiful, unceded traditional territories to the Okanagan Silix people. Uh, Their generosity has uh, been to me Um, as the superintendent of school, CEO has been uh, incredible in the eight years that I've been here. And of course, I appreciate that they've been here for millennia um, and have been caretakers of our beautiful land where we live, Mm -hmm. learn, and play. Great. Well, thank you for sharing that,
0: Kevin. And yeah, I'm excited to have you here today. And one of the reasons I wanted to get you on is I'm really interested to hear a little bit about CASA Now you're the president of CASA, which is the Canadian Association of School Systems Administrators. I had to write that down. I wasn't going to remember that. Um, and I'm interested because in the light of the fact there's actually, there's no national education branch in Canada. So if you could share a little bit about what CASA, who is CASA and how does CASA impact education across Canada? And then, particularly to the teachers on the ground, like, you know, what kind of impact can you have?
1: Yeah. So, we're a national organization of school system leaders that involves um, leaders from uh, every province and territory in Canada um, and uh, includes uh, the um, executive directors or CEOs of the Provincial or territorial organizations that support uh, superintendents um, of school CEOs or directors uh, of education, depending on the province or territory, uh, in their work, and um, we provide um, some commitments around uh, uh, networking, uh, professional uh, education for uh, system leaders, and. Um, we really look at issues that have a national significance that are common across all provinces. Even though uh, education is provincial or territorial responsibility, we make sure that there are some common issues that uh, certainly can be addressed. For example, like uh, you know adequately funding public education uh, across Canada, or uh, looking at the mental health and well-being of all of the um, educators. Uh, leaders um, and students that participate in public education in Canada, supporting uh, a journey towards truth and reconciliation. These are all national sorts of agendas. Um, And most recently, uh, when I took the presidency, I was trying to get involved in a national strategy around nature-based education or sustainability education. And uh, that's now coming on uh, our agenda as well. We also sit on other um, committees, so we're on the National Advisory Council for Publicly Funded Public Education, which include the Canadian School Boards Association, um, the uh, uh, Recruitment National, the Direction Generals uh, uh, of Education. My French is terrible, with my apologies. Um, the Federation National, the Councils, Scolaires, Francophones, President of the Canadian Teachers' Association, and the President of the Canadian Association of Principals, and again, looking at the some of those national issues that you know are common across the province, um, you know, uh, we really saw a need for that during the pandemic, and where there were so many different responses to um, how. How much school systems approached, and health systems cooperated in approaching uh, the pandemic, as you know, in British Columbia, we did everything we could to keep schools open um and that wasn't the case across province or territories um and those conversations really tried to that we had during that time they really tried to help inform us about what was best practice and how we could move together in a more uniform way.
0: That's great so. In, I'm thinking of another, one of the other big topics that we hear a lot, of course, is climate change. So when it comes to on a national level, is it really just each province can have an influence on each other? Could there ever, ever be a situation where that, that every province would have to cover
1: climate change in the curriculum to take yeah, one and issue? I, it, and again, it's a provincial matter. And so I think provinces make that decision. There are certainly uh, um, national organizations, whether they're um, uh, ch- charitable organizations, non government organizations that, you know, like the Canadian Wild uh, like, um, Federation, those kinds of organizations certainly are um, working towards a national strategy. Um, it is a good place for us to have that conversation. We'll be at that National Advisory Council and within the Canadian Association of School System Administrators, or CASA. It'll be important for us to, to um, talk about um, some of the critical issues that are facing us as a planet, not just a country. And so how do we make sure that, uh, you know, the work that's being done in many schools, we have it happening in many schools, it's not that it's not in curriculum. In British Columbia, it's, um, it dots throughout a variety of different curricula um, and we have networks like in my district I could just talk about we have a network of over hundred teachers who are very focused on supporting you know nature-based sustainability based um, uh, education and uh, we have a whole bunch of other uh, opportunities through land-based learning which is a uh, both um, you know a focus on that idea of conservation in seven generations but using first people's principles in looking at that and engaging our uh, indigenous community and, and our partners at uh, West Bank First Nation uh, with students who, uh, you know, in some in some respects are, are, you know, have lost their way a little bit, particularly in middle school. You know, our system isn't working for them, and yet we get them into this. It's now been quite sort of land-based love. The kids go to this uh, program that we have while they're attending regular school. Um, they can learn so much more about their own cultures um from elders and about the ties to the land and that really actually changes kids it's amazing uh it saves their lives and they and the, and it helps gives them purpose so you know those are all the important things that um we can be doing i mean our core values at, at CASA are diversity equity excellence in education inclusion responsiveness we want to respond to the needs of our members of course and the well-being of um Everybody in the system, like we want them to live a happy, uh, fulfilling lives. That should be the purpose of public education when, when we're finished. And so there's a lot of pieces that go into that. And so we, we try and have those conversations and, and advocate both provincially in our roles, or provincial leaders that sit with CASA, and also at a national level where there's national issues.
0: No, that's great. So you have sort of touched on this in a way, but I, I'm curious. I, the more I'm speaking to teachers and leaders in the educational field, you know, there's a lot of a lot of change happening very quickly. And we're hearing about AI and chat GPT, you know, in particular, is very, very much uh, come to the forefront, which I've actually started playing with now since I spoke to you a couple of weeks ago. And yeah, it's it's actually great to embrace it. I'm one that was a little bit I was pushing back, uh, but I've actually started to use it in my day-to-day work as well. Um, so I'm curious. And speaking to Alec Kuros a couple of weeks ago too, who's very much of a tech mind. That you, I don't know if you know Alec, but I do
1: know of Alec. Yeah.
0: It was a, yeah. I think he opened me up really actually to now I say that to the idea of using ChatGPT and just being open to the, you know this new new era. So how can we effectively bridge the gap between the old traditional Education system, certainly, which I came from in the UK, and the evolving needs of learners in the 21st century as things are moving so quickly.
1: Yeah. So I I think, you know, British Columbia has taken a lead in doing this work and uh, it will continue to evolve. We've moved from, you know, that facts based, knowledge based um, sort of uh, education system where you're, you know, regurgitating the, you know, the facts that are needed to get on a multiple guest test, to a competency-based, problem-solving, critical thinking, creative thinking, education model. But I think that's the direction we have to go. Uh, We also have to get out of this idea that classrooms are siloed and and move into classrooms uh, or learning communities that are joined. In other words, you have got three teachers, let's say, teaching grade eight. They work collectively, collaboratively together. In a learning community, they all have different gifts, and they build a culture of inquiry, you know, with strong assessment practices and high standards, and then they support student agency that so students can um, inquire about things that interest them within the curricula, right? And so that they begin pursuing that work, okay, and they become lifelong learners, and they're being supported uh, in an inclusive way, uh, by this let's say triad of teachers for this community of teachers, as opposed to asking one teacher to meet the needs of each student in a complex classroom. Um, those are some of the steps that we continue to have to take. And I and I think I wrote a little op-ed piece very early in in the CASA newsletter. I can send it to you uh, later, Bloom. Um, and the the issue about ChatGPT. And I'm being a bit naive because it's a far more powerful tool than, say, a, um, you know, a calculator, the scientific calculators that we started to use. And I remember hearing, how that was going to ruin young people's ability to calculate and critically think. And and it hasn't actually, you know, we've got, uh, I had a demonstration of, of kids that we do a thing called Inside 23 at my board meetings that I instigated and, and teachers came just showing their practice. They shared their practice. And uh, a learning community was showing their practice in middle school of students graphing and uh, actually designing architecturally buildings and mathematically using software that's typically used in university. And um, the critical thinking that had to go into that is quite remarkable. And yet, you know, the kids can go ahead at a pace faster than probably their teachers could. And so, you know, that's part of what this chat GPT will do in a sense. Like it's not something to worry about, it's something to figure out. It's something to embrace. It's here, it's too late, right? We can either say, look, we're not allowing that. We don't, you know, we're not going to, we're going to ignore it. And as students told me about technology in the classroom one time, you know, Mr. Cardell, you can either let us drown or teach us to swim. In other words, Teach us to use social media responsibly. teach us to guard ourselves against all this the horrors that can exist on social media, and it's a real challenge, but teach us to use the tools that are out there effectively so that we can uh, embrace them and move forward uh, in a positive way and affect our own learning you know as we inquire about the world and um uh, we can move forward, uh, advancing knowledge for ourselves and for those around us. That's the work we have to do, but that's going to happen in community. It isn't going to happen in this, you know, classroom where you have one teacher rows of desks. Uh, we actually have to change structures with in schools and set, uh, these learning communities forward, which we're doing in our district, um, and have teachers teach, uh, collaboratively as opposed to, um, on their own. Used to be, as a teacher when I first started, it was kind of a lonely profession. You're in the room, you got 30 kids-ish, and you know you set the, the interpretation of the curriculum, and you deliver it, and then you ask for assessments, and you work with kids. And if you have a bad day, the kids have a bad day. Well, when you're in a learning community, they don't because somebody picks up. Yeah, right? And it's, it's about inquiry, and they have agency. They're driving. The so there, you're the facilitator. You're, you're doing that work to support them. I mean, I, I, I thought of, you know, one of the interesting pieces. I was at a, um, when I was a superintendent in Burnaby, CEO, and I was at a, a Metro event with students, hundreds of students. And we were talking about technology and how it could support learning. And one of the kids at the table said, I don't get Shakespeare. I don't, don't have to understand. I, I don't get why I have to understand and memorize quatrains." I said, well, besides it being, you know, whole plays written in iambic pentameter, you know, a lyrical form of uh, poetry, which is quite unbelievable, uh, ex- you know, part of genius. You're right. You don't. And I pulled out my cell phone and I, you know, asked it uh, to find a quatrain, and pops up, says it out to me. So I said, I, maybe I don't need to know that anymore, but I do know, need to know what it means. Why is Shakespeare relevant today? What is going on in Romeo and Juliet, you know, uh, in these classic plays that are going on today that we can learn from? Hum- human condition, even though we're far more technologically advanced, uh, hasn't changed um, that dramatically that we still can't learn from our past. So, those are some of the questions I think we need to try and look at. We have to set conditions. For teachers to become the agents of change, supported in that change, supported in helping students have agency in their own learning, supported in building those competencies that are like critical thinking, creative thinking, personal and social competencies. So they look after their own wellness. They're able to work and collaborate together because individually, uh, some of these major issues that we're facing are not going to get solved, but they are going to get solved collectively. We hope.
0: Yeah. yeah, very much. Um, I was going to go on a tangent to ask about, I, I just just quickly, I'm curious. So it sounds to me like you would be very open to chat GPT and there will be others being used within the classroom setting. Because I, and I, I just wonder, other conversations around policy and whether it could be banned or should be banned. Because I know there was a school board, if I said, if it's school board, if, if that's the right terminology in New York, that has banned chat GPT. I just wonder, is that a conversation that's
1: happening? It sounds like it's maybe not. In no, your not, my, not in my district, no, and it may happen in other districts. Um, teachers, I always say teachers have the authority they need to manage technology. For example, you know, people say, well, okay, uh, what do you do about cell phones in the classroom? And I say, well, a teacher just asks their student to take them out, show it, turn it off put it on the desk, take out the buds, put them on the desk. We're not using technology right now. That's how you start that work. Oh, if we really want to measure a student's um, ability to write and draft in group, if that's important for some reason, then which chat GPT, remember, it's just a generative um, technology that uh, helps write uh, from where it gathers information. Very powerful tool, Uh, but isn't necessarily always accurate. It still hallucinates. It brings out facts. Like I, The very first time I tried to use it, I just said, how can I know how accurate this is? I asked it about me. And it said I was both an educational leader and um, uh, a health leader. And I'm a physical education health trade person, so I took that as a compliment. And yes, I was on the media quite a bit for uh, speaking for schools. And I was president at the time of the BC School Superintendent's Association during the pandemic. So I was speaking about health matters. Um, but, you know, it was, it was interesting to know uh, and, and got some facts wrong, you know, and that's okay. But as a place to start, if I was trying to start to write something, a, a biography, then it wasn't a bad place to start. And I have to say it was quite complimentary, more than I deserved. So I enjoyed that too. But uh, so, so, so it, is, it is one of those things where we're going to figure it out. Like, we're at this early stages. We're not in a panic. We're, we've got teams meeting to try and understand it. Uh, there have been conversations across leadership. I'm certain it will become a significant conversation with CASA about how people are doing it. That's the, the goal of networks, to not reinvent the wheel. You know, CASA forms these networks of leaders. And if somebody comes up with great, there's an abundance mentality, and they share it. That then filters back into the classroom where we're, as leaders, trying to set conditions for teachers to succeed. And it may involve policy. Those are all things that I think are on the horizon um, as as we move forward. Yeah,
0: That's great. So I'm curious about, in terms of talking to the teachers, what are some of the common challenges that teachers and colleagues when they at different stages of their career, when they are coming together and connecting on a national level at any of these conferences, like what's some of the conversations that you've been hearing? I'm sure we've touched on some of it already.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I guess for me, there, the, it's the relevance of curriculum, right? Like if you're going to engage kids, how do you make sure that it's relevant to them? And, um, I think we have teachers who are incredibly passionate about big issues, and uh, they do a phenomenal job, and we see that every day. I mean, we've had a focus on a culture of inquiry in my district. That's one of the things I bring when I come and lead a district. I will create that culture of inquiry. Uh, of course, we've also had a significant focus. It was already here, but we, we enhanced it uh, around uh, our journey towards truth and reconciliation, I mean, I sort of characterize education as you have to be ready to learn first. And that includes things like feeding kids. So we feed thousands of kids every week. Um, And our, our government's now finally recognized that, and they've actually started to fund that in British Columbia. So there's a feeding futures program, and that's significant. Because if I'm hungry, I'm not going to learn. So that's something teachers face. If I'm dysregulated, we noticed when... Uh, we, you know, we were open in our district. Um, other than that two months, we had 96% of our kids in in in-person learning for the first year, 98 for the second year. And it didn't mean there weren't lots of protocols, safety protocols in place. There were, and they created issues around social issues and, and, you know, students, uh, self-regulation because they were put in little groups and they couldn't mingle with other groups. We were trying to, you know, Stop the spread of any uh, inspection until it got impossible from them. Um, And you know, we were taking advice from health. But that had some real benefits in that our kids don't have some of those big gaps that are experienced in other districts, uh, across North America, let's say, or the world where they were out, for all the right reasons. Like I'm not being critical, because this was something new we all faced. right? So for all the right reasons, they were out. Uh, parent decision, all those kinds of things. Trying to do learning at home, and it's just not the same. Like you, you need that. Uh, learning is is absolutely a collaborative, communal, community event. And you know, First Nations have known that for millennia. And and you know, the Western system eventually became this factory model. You know, one person rose, Time became very important. All those things that. You get an ed foundations when you go to university and get your education degree, right? And we're well past that. We know that it has to be done in community. We know that learning is something done in context of where you live, the land you're on, all kinds of um, pieces that are that make it very complex. So, so teachers were facing things like kids who were hearing nothing in the media but fear, and so you have, you know, self regulation problems. You have mental health issues. You have you know, kids being hungry because of the pressure on the economy. I think that still continues today. And so we need to solve those ready-to-learn problems first. Then when a kid is ready to learn, then you can get to those foundational skills that support critical thinking, you know, literacy, numeracy, scientific thinking, all of those things that are really important. Creative thinking, artistic thinking, where that student's passions are in an inquiry model and you build those foundational skills. Then you apply them to real world problems. You get kids to apply them. And finally, when they're getting better at applying those through middle school and secondary school, they start to transition or or direct themselves into pathways that they really are interested in exploring and maybe have a future going to post-secondary, a career or something else. That's how I see the public education system in terms of trying to deconstruct it and break it down in terms of making it successful. But it is centered around that, idea of learning in community and creating a culture of inquiry with lots of student agencies. So they're engaged, giving them lots of choices. And that's what our teachers, I think, face all the time. And so they're trying to figure that out, and they have prescribed a curriculum to deliver. So it's a very challenging job, and they've done a, an incredible work. And, you know, I, I'm not sitting here focused on, on test results in my district. And yet our graduation rate is now 96%. It's moved up from 89. We were a high-performing district when I got here. Uh, And that's the work of our teachers and our uh, school leaders and our system leaders who are, you know, supporting them, setting those conditions where everyone can thrive holistically. That's all of their work. Somebody once asked me what my job was, and I said, well, sometimes it's about, you know, setting, uh, you know, a vision or or co-developing a vision with leaders in the system is really more it, and then clearing the deck chairs so that those conditions can occur and and building great teams. I think education today, the difference is you need to team to be successful. That's that, get back to that learning community and a team of teachers supporting kids because the situation is so complex right now that, um, you know, with inclusive classrooms and everything else, you need the support of colleagues. Uh, even when those just-in-time moments come up that disrupt learning for others. You know, if you're in with a team, somebody can address that working on it, whether it's an education paraprofessional through uh, their expertise or if it's, you know, another professional in the classroom who has expertise in inclusive education supporting the teacher, even though we all have to be very uh, um, broadly skilled. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and so... So I'm curious you, I mean, you've mentioned the graduation race there as well. So I'd like to ask, I feel like you're an advocate for educational equity, and I, th- I feel like you've leaned into this a little bit, but what are some of the, the practical strategies and initiatives that can, help, that can help level the playing field to ensure that all students do have access to quality education?
1: Well, you know, sometimes finances are an issue, and so you have to have good policy around finances. You have to plan for that. Um, and that's easier in a larger district. We're a sort of medium-sized district across Canada, with just under twenty-five thousand students and a, a budget operating budget around three hundred forty million dollars. But um, you can find around the edges things that support, uh, you know, kids having equitable access to academies. For example, we have a lot of academies and choices that kids can take in our district. Has been a deliberate decision. That's around, you know, their agency. I'm interested in. I would like that opportunity, and can we do that? Can we find that somewhere in our school? Then you have to build structures where, you know, a singular program is available to kids across the district. And so you have to build timetables and think differently about a timetable. So you're not doing five blocks in a day. You know, you're doing two to four blocks in a day, but you're rotating them so that kids can travel. So you might join blocks, say, for... A drama program that's now every other day year-round uh, because it's theater and it's going to be professional theater, and it's not available at every school, and so kids travel to that program, or a you know, cosmetology program, or a you know, firefighters uh, academy, whatever the academy is, it could be a sport academy. We have a number of those, and you you try and make sure that at the secondary level you're providing opportunities also. Uh, for kids to do dual credit, one of the big things we have is, you know, kids start to say, why am I doing this? And yet, if they can see it real on a pathway through with us, for our two post-secondary pro- uh, partners in Okanagan College and UBC Okanagan, kids can actually take university-advanced or college-advanced credit ahead of time. And uh, that's one of the things that we're working on right now around the nature-based education is developing what we call a seminar that's focused on uh, environmental or land-based learning based on students, uh, you know, desire an agency to inquire about some aspect of that work. And the research will be, you know, supported at a university level. Um, and that's, Uh, work that's happening through Advanced Placement Canada. I sit on their national advisory board as well. And we have a team of just dedicated people who are super excited to really put this to the test, right? And yet that program is going to need some flexibility in scheduling because they're going to be out on the land for periods of time. They're going to, you know, and yet they have to still finish their core um, subjects back at their regular school. So those, those are um, some of the things you need to do practically. You have to find ways to create structures where you can be flexible, you can provide options, um, you can meet student interests, you can ensure that there's no financial barriers or eliminate those as much as you can. You provide the resources from an inclusive perspective um, and you you spend that money. Like our our government also gives us targeted funding for Indigenous students. Uh, you know, fair isn't equal. Equity is not an equal thing. There's been oppression. The government still is oppressing, even though it's trying to move towards truth and reconciliation if you look at its policies. And so we have a bunch of programs, advocacy programs. where We have 70 advocates that track and support Indigenous students. And if they don't haven't had a meaningful meeting with them every 10 days or their family, we get an alert. Principal students. And then they go and say, hey, what's going on with student Q? And they go try and support them. We have tutorials. Uh, We have four indigenous academies now in the district and a land-based learning academy um, that are all um, supported by uh, elders within our community, right? And where uh, culture and history is taught so that I need to see my own dignity and worth in the school system that I'm in. And then the school I walk in has to be visible. And so those, you know, beyond our regular work where we do acknowledgements, where, you know, we now have the West Bank First Nation flag at our board office and in many of our schools that are part of West Bank First Nation, along with the Canadian flag, the flag from British Columbia, right? Recognizing that we're in a nation-to-nation conversation. That's partly what the actual treaties are. And West Bank First Nation is, you know, government-to-government. And so we have an LEA with them. So we agree and make commitments in a legal document, okay? Local education agreement, they're called. And we then have to meet those agreements uh, in terms of the dollars that are are flowed our way from um, WFN, which has is in charge of its own education, right? So we we do a whole bunch of work that's a collaboration. We 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 we're not perfect. I don't want to. You know, I'm sitting here saying lots of nice things that we're working towards, but, you know, we're not perfect. We've got lots of work to do to make sure that, uh, we, you know, raise everybody up so everyone can thrive holistically.
0: That's really great. Um, yeah, no, thanks for sharing that. Now you've all, you already mentioned this. So live at earth. We have very nature based, you know, we're not just, we not just focused on the nature. We're also the real world. There are other issues that will come up in the programs. But certainly that's our starting point is the, our interest in nature education. So you've had the opportunity to advise on the National Nature Education Strategy. And I can't lie, I can't find it on, anywhere on Google. Uh, I haven't tried chat GPT, so I know it's early stages, but I'm really interested what could, you can tell us about that, uh, particularly because you said your district is going to be a prototype for this work. So maybe you could just elaborate on that. like What does that yeah. look like?
1: So it's really in the early stages, and you know, and I, I think uh, the the strategies actually work that's being done by the five largest um, uh, NGOs, non government organizations that support nature based education. and Don't ask me to name them all. I know the Canadian uh, Wildlife Federation is certainly one of them, um, and they met in, in just outside of Winnipeg this summer. And they're looking at how do they get, they have all these phenomenal resources, education resources, and education, of course, is a provincial matter. How do we get, uh, you know, the most students educated about what we need to know right now? Um, And so they were just wondering about that. And they invited a number of people from uh, across uh, Canada. And, And we proposed, I was one of the invitees, sat on a panel and delivered, Uh, some of the things that we're doing in our district, but mostly a message that I think if the funding's out there and we can put the people in districts, and there's collective agreements to all kinds of other issues, provincial work uh, that has to happen, but if the funding is there to have experts in districts to help drive this, it's in curriculum already. You have to do Mm in-servicing, right? But it's about the resources that are available. And right now, there's an awful lot of time being spent for all the right reasons on social justice issues, truth and reconciliation. It's immediate, it's in our face. Anti-racism, it's in our face. And I'm going to tell you when I think about go back to my description about, you know, how public education needs to work in terms of those order of operations. And by the way, they can happen from an immigrant who comes in or a refugee comes in, in grade 10, as that same order in my Perception as if when you start in preschool. And that is you have to be ready to learn first. You have to deal with those basic human needs that are required. And one of them is being in a safe space, and seeing my self, whoever that is, reflected, you know, and narratives that show the heroic efforts of all people in our world. And so that's uh, one of the challenges that we're facing right now. in in public education, and there's a lot of effort being put into that. Mental health and wellness is part of that. They're all tied together, but all this effort is being put in place around that ready-to-learn, that sometimes we forget what's driving some of that, say, mental uh, health issues, and that is, you know, a sense of sometimes hopelessness at the environmental situation we see ourselves in, you know, wildfires, records every year. Uh, You know, when you're in a month of smoke uh, somewhere, uh, it really has an impact on your and your well-being and so how do we address those and so and there's limited dollars and so part of this initiative is to try and look at how we get all these resources that are already out there and these experts that are already out there in, into schools and so that's part of the question it was really early uh, there there was one meeting i i've been invited to mainstreaming environmental literacy and it's an international dialogue on urgency and high impact and um again a lot of work being done right environment and climate change canada are doing this work it's happening in vancouver on august uh, 21st the 22nd i'm invited it's about it and my comment is how do we get this i you know i've had the conversations at the ministerial level and they're you know they're, they have concerns and in british columbia we're really fortunate that our ministry of the environment and our ministry of education actually speak to each other, and so I'm not saying that doesn't happen elsewhere, but I know it happens here, and uh, because of the uh, high quality people we have uh, in the um, as the administrators in those um, different ministries, and so you know there's hope that something can happen. It's just trying to figure out what the what is right now, and that's how early all this is. So. Um, I'm not sure anyone's named at the national strategy. That was a gentleman who invited me in. Said Kevin, we're going to this meeting Winnipeg to talk about the national strategy on, edu- you know, environmental or nature-based education, and how do we uh, have the largest impact possible? Because a lot of what happens right now, and I'm just new to this, is uh, there's lots of campaigns out there, lots of. You know, uh, media and all of those things. But we're not actually sitting down with kids in formal education outside of our curricula. And it's not, um, you know, how much emphasis it gets in our curricula it depends on the passion of an individual teacher or a group of teachers. And so I think that this is, and I'm, no, I'm not an environmentalist. I, I have to tell you, I, I still value a plastic straw. I, I, I'll say that it's my sin and omission. Uh, I, I want them to get the microbes that eat plastics safely. But um, until then, I just don't use a straw. But my point simply is, those paper things are terrible. But is that we have to actually figure out uh, what we're going to do, because the clock's ticking. And it doesn't care about anything else. The, the, The globe is the globe, and it's finite. And we have to figure some of this out. And so I don't I'm not a scientific expert. I don't have that stuff. We have lots of experts that we need to really begin listening to, to try and figure out uh, what we're to do. And I'm just somebody saying that, you know, one of the vehicles for this could be in schools, in public school. And actually talk about this. If we, you know, got people the expertise, if we made space in the curriculum, uh, for that emphasis and I guess that's where all that started and so I'm just right now at a real learning space for me and uh yeah we're prototyping something which I've explained it's an advanced placement course so we're trying to make sure it gets some unrestricted university credit none of that's in place right now um you know based on learning about the land and the other interest I have is I spend a lot of time in our district focused on transitions. In other words, so kids can see a pathway. So lots of uh, dual credit programs with the college, you know, over 27, I think, or up maybe 29. And, you know, where they're taking uh, course credit that leads to a ticket of some kind, red seal, uh, bachelor's degree in science, nursing, whatever. And we're doing the same thing with, uh, universities are harder sort of not to crack. We use advanced placement courses to help us with that, you know, in, and we also have a dual credit program in engineering uh, with them. And this would be another um, advanced placement course that would look at dual credit. We got 60 kids who are super interested in this, They've signed up immediately. They're trying to figure out that I get to design an inquiry or, you know, a research project on the land. I'm going to learn more about it, about something to do with the environment and careers at the environment. You know, some of the discussions I'm having with the presidents of the, and, and the uh, principal and vice president of our two local, um, organizations, uh, post-secondary organizations is, uh, you know, what are the environmental pathways like for environmental careers? This is a new growing part of the, um, uh, economy and it's going to become more and more important. And so, you know, do we know what those are, are They Are they paying, you know, great uh, wages? You know, or is this something somebody, who you know, has a passion for doing something and providing hope to, you know, help sustain the planet is a better, you know, option than, than some of the others that, that uh, careers that might be of interest to kids. And so that's some of the work that you end up trying to do as a system leader, too, is trying to find those opportunities and maybe just set the conditions where. You know, um, it inspires young people to uh, follow their passion and and make a difference. And every little bit of difference matters. So that, you know, that that's the important piece of that. So that's sort of where we're at with that very early initiative. And and I'll have more to report at the end of the year. We'll see if it's successful or uh, and where I've been able to take this conversation with the support of. A gentleman named James Bertram, who's uh, the person who's connected me into it, and uh, Terry Goldwald, who's the Canadian representative for advanced placement. And um, just try to see what we can do to uh, move that conversation forward, right? It aligns with truth and reconciliation so beautifully. I, I don't have to change anything. We're doing a whole bunch of work in that regard already. Um, it aligns with. Sciences, so many of the sciences right Right now that are um, an area where we, we, we need to focus. Yeah. So how can
0: district leaders effectively support teachers in developing adaptive expertise? So w- what are some of the barriers in supporting this development um,
1: within the profession? Time, I think, is one of your, your biggest issues. And, and of course you know, we work hard uh, in in an environment where there's an expected accountability and some of the assessments are quite limited and yet people hold them up as, you know, you're doing X, Y, Z. The the best measure is graduation rates in my view. Uh, And yet there are issues with graduation rates depending on where you are and what resources you have to support students, right? If you're in a, a small district in a large area, where just getting to school is the barrier, back to ready to learn. You know, graduation rate can can become a challenge unless you find innovative ways to manage that and engage kids in something real that makes uh, a difference to them and their communities. And that requires significant resourcing and people who are willing to go there. Like when you're trying to recruit people, uh, it's hard for, uh, you know, we're the largest center in Central Okinawa or Central British Columbia. And we can't. We, we struggle with recruitment. It's happening in Metro. And so, you, you know, it's not just about dollars. It's about getting people interested in the profession, getting uh, people trained, and making sure that you have uh, the right in-service and support. It's also setting up structures, again, that have people working in teams because no great solution ever came out of the mind of one person. Like, you know, everyone says Einstein, oh, this, you know, great theory of relativity. Yeah, he was talking to a whole bunch of other brilliant mathematicians. the time. Lots of letters exchanged back and forth. Yes, he came up with that aha moment and, to, you know, put it out there for other people to criticize and do that work. This is one of the most brilliant people in our past. Well, it takes teams of people to create uh, adaptive expertise. And you have to give people space to make mistakes. There has to be... A growth mindset to a point. In the end, not everyone's going to be a rocket scientist. Fair enough. But you do have to, you know, create opportunities for those young people to thrive. And that happens in a collaborative environment that goes beyond the school system walls. So it's not just our schools and what they can do, but it's also our, our post-secondaries and our, you know, universities. Are they working collaboratively Uh, with the school system like I've described to you. That's really critical because they come at it from a different perspective. And if you're going to start solving some of those issues around adaptive expertise, um, you need people who are committed to that inquiry, that cause, or whatever the issue is, and that are coming at it from a, a variety of different angles until you can get a solution. And you have, people have to have permission to try things, and see that, oh, that's not actually working. It's okay. My job's not in jeopardy. My graduation is in jeopardy. We'll just start again, right? And we'll try and figure out, we'll adapt. That's part of that process that we need to manage in school system. It has to be uh, even more fluid. And it has to involve all members of the community. It has to involve parents of students with with diverse abilities. I haven't talked about them. They're a critical piece. Their voice has to be a part of it. Uh, we, I recreated a group that was meeting here uh, previously and then had fallen off and started another one and said, look, we need to have these conversations. We're not perfect at it. There's all kinds of things that uh, need to be done. We need to be engaging uh, our First Nations communities, our Métis communities, our, uh, you know, all of our indigenous people about how do you see yourself, yourself, what are your dreams? reflected in our community in the future you want or your child wants for themselves? What's that future, right? Not the one we think about, and that helps create adaptive expertise. A lot of it's got to do with, and I'd love to talk, so that's hard to maybe see reflected in me, but um, it's about listening. There's a lot of listening that's required, a lot of looking at the evidence and the data. It has to be data-driven. Is this making the difference, we think? That's the inquiry culture we're talking about. We're inquiring about X. We did some things. Did it make it? How do we know? How do we know that that happened? Was it a good thing to do? Well, let's measure it. Let's figure out a way to look at that. What's the evidence? And I say evidence on purpose because it isn't just a quantitative measure, right? And, oh, it's making a difference. Let's get there. And the reason I like grad rates, even though I understand they too are flawed, is that A graduation rate is the multiple assessments over multiple years by multiple teachers. So it's the broadest-based sort of assessment says you met this criteria of all of them, as opposed to, say, an FSA, which is a one-time, one-test assessment that, you know, some people use to rate districts. Absolutely ridiculous, right? And learning is something that happens over time, in space. So it's not where you are in grade 7 or grade even great tenants, wherever you are, you know, to be honest with you, postgraduate, you know when you graduate and where you go next. I really appreciate that thought. Um, and so lastly,
0: I wonder, can you share just one development, maybe not chat TPT it's too easy, that you're excited about in the field of education
1: well it's it's not new because it started you know more than a decade ago, and that for me, is this focus on our curricula today, which it is competency-based. A focus on, you know, young people developing competencies, critical thinking, creative thinking, you know, personal competencies so that they can work together, they can relate, they can understand their own wellness, and take action or steps, you know, to be a person that thrives holistically. That's great. That's a
0: great place to end. And I really appreciate you taking the time today. And I've really enjoyed listening to you and um, and your approach as a leader and that collaborative approach and creating the right conditions for your leadership team and then for the teachers as well. I think it's, yeah, it's been really
1: refreshing and yeah, i really enjoyed listening. Oh, well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to be on and be happy to come on about any other issue. Uh, especially as I think the uh, nature-based education work um, uh, continues
0: to develop. I'm very curious to hear more about that. So yes, let's try try and make that happen maybe at the end of the next school year and see where things are at with that. That'd be a great check-in. Great, thanks. Thanks for joining us on The 21st Century Teacher and we'll look forward to seeing you next time. Please do subscribe so you don't miss out on the next show. And also, don't forget to check out our fantastic online learning platform, which is liveit.ert. Thanks again, and we'll
1: see you soon.